All right, let's turn to uh, Mark 16 again. We're going to look at the very last, last two verses. Verse 19 says that, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Well, we come to the end of the Gospel of Mark, and Mark, with, as with the other Gospels, have one major theme, and then each Gospel has, I would call, a secondary theme that's unique to each one of the books. But each book, as does Mark, has the major theme of what is referenced here in uh, verse 19, as it says that Jesus, after He had spoken to them, was received back up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Each gospel is the story of Jesus coming down from heaven, coming to the earth to save His people on the earth. That God sent Jesus as the Savior. And the gospel stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the written record of that time when God sent Jesus down. He walked on the earth for three and a half years. And, all, and what, he, what He taught, not all that He taught, but the main things He taught and what He did. And then every one of the gospels end in the same way. With Jesus going to the cross, dying for the sins of the world, being buried, and then rising from the dead with eternal life. That is the major theme of each gospel. The coming of Jesus to die, be buried, rise from the dead, to save all who would repent and believe on Him. And so Jesus completes that, and now He has gone back to heaven. And you may ask, where is Jesus now? Well, the Mark verse 16, 19 tells us He is sat down at the right hand of God. He is sitting on the throne of the universe, the right hand of God the Father. And He is sitting there, uh, ruling over the universe, waiting until the time when the opportunity, the age of, of uh, salvation, the age of the church on the earth, the church doing what verse 20 says, going out and sharing the gospel with other people and uh, telling people of the offer of salvation and seeing people come and be saved. When that time is over, then Jesus will come back to the earth to sit, to take His throne here and reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. And so this is how the Gospel of Mark closes in completing that, that story. Uh, Turn with me to the first chapter of Mark and notice how it presents this major theme in the opening of the book. And uh, we'll look at that and then I want to share with you what I uh, believe is the secondary theme of Mark that we uh, discovered as we uh, studied through this book. In chapter 1, verse 6, uh, verse 14... Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came up to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now there is the description of Jesus' mission. He was sent here to the earth as the Savior to go to the cross and die, pay for everyone's sin debt, and then be raised to eternal life because He Himself was not guilty of the sins and He was, did not deserve to die. He died in our place and God raised Him back from the dead and now He has the gift of eternal life He offers to everyone. And He states that here and that's what He preached in verse 15. He says, the kingdom of God is now at hand. It's open. It's open for you to come into, to enter into as a changed person, as a saved person who turns from sin. And so the call of the gospel is repent, turn from sin, forsake sin, which is the way of death, and now come into life. Believe the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Believe on that for your own forgiveness to be saved. And then come and follow Jesus in your life and tell other people about Him. That is the description of the mission of Jesus here in the Gospel of Mark. And it's really summarized in a very uh, clear, short way that's very uh, beneficial for us to be able to memorize and to share with other people. In fact, right here, Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 15 is, I think I'm correct in saying this is the only place where both repentance and belief are put together in one sentence in a short, concise way in the Gospel message. Other places, repentance is talked about, belief is talked about, but now Acts 20, Paul did it there. We talked about repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus. That's another place. But here's one of the few times where it's really put together in a short, quick statement that is beneficial to use, where he says, repent and believe in the gospel, and then follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And that's one of the characteristics of the book of Mark also is it's presented in a very short, concise way. Uh, therefore, it's the shortest of all the Gospels. And uh, this is one of uh, its uh, unique traits to uh, quickly and clearly uh, summarize the details of, of the Gospel. And so here in chapter 1, it uh, presents this major theme of, of the gospel story of the message of Jesus coming as the Savior to die for our sins. And if we'll repent and believe on Him, we will be saved. The Bible many times describes it as being saved in salvation. And it leads us to, and we need to understand, saved from what? What do we need to be saved from? The word saved brings up the issue, there is a crisis, there is an emergency, and this is a real emergency, unlike the false emergency of global warming. And the unbelievers are trying to really say a similar thing. They're saying we need to save the planet, save the human race which they can't do anyway, but that's their terminology. They're saving the human race, saving the planet. From what? From destruction, from death. 
And that's what we must be saved from. The judgment of God to be judged and descent to hell forever and to die forever, which is the worst thing that can ever happen to anyone. That's what sin does. God doesn't want that to happen. He's provided a way to get out of, to be saved from that, to be delivered from that. But people refuse to repent and believe in their stubbornness and in their pride and their sinfulness, and they choose to go there. And it's the most awful, awful thing in all of life. We need to be saved from that awful destruction. And that's where sin would lead us into the destruction of hell. And if we'll repent and believe, Jesus will, will forgive all of our sins. He'll wash us clean. And that means our life will be changed. Our hearts will be changed. That's a key part of this. Repentance is a key part of this. It is not just praying a prayer and saying, uh, uh, okay, God, please save me from going to hell. And I'm going to just gonna keep living my life like, I, like I'm living it. I'm going to keep just sinning and I'm going to try to enjoy all the sin I can. And then when I die, I'm going to go and be with you in heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. That's a contradiction. See, because if you're on the earth, people, if they want to go and sin all they want to, and they want to run after sin, then they don't want to go to heaven. They won't enjoy being with God. If they can't enjoy walking with God here and now and follow Jesus now, why do you think they'll want to be with Him forever? They won't. Those that are saved undergo a change of heart. And we... When you're saved, you have a change where you say, I don't want to keep going this way. I realize this is a wrong road, that this is a path to destruction. And while sin deceives me and there is some pleasure in sin, it is the path to destruction and I don't want it anymore. I don't want to walk down this road anymore. I want to turn, forsake it, turn my back on it. I want to turn to Jesus and I want to follow Him. That's why Jesus gave that word and He said, you want to be saved? Then follow me. You've got to follow me in your life. Walk with me. Let me lead your life. That means you're turning your life over to Him as your leader, as your Lord, as your Savior. And what He's going to do is He's going to turn you away from sin. A Christian is about turning away from sin and living a changed life, a life that seeks to do what is right. That's what it means to be a Christian. And there is so much lack of understanding of that and a rejection of that among people today who claim to be Christians. And it is a tremendous problem. And they think they're following Jesus, but they're not. Because Jesus is about turning away from sin. He's about obeying His heavenly Father every time is what He did. He never sinned one time. And He says, you want to follow Me? Come and follow Me, but turn away from sin. Because that's where I'm at. That's where I'm going. And so you want to follow Me? You've got to walk the road I'm walking. That doesn't mean we're, that we can be perfect. None of us can be perfect, but we're to be following Jesus to deal with sin and say, Jesus, help me to turn away from my sin and help me to obey you and to do what you did and help me to, to uh, become more obedient in my life, to become stronger against sin. You're the one that has power against sin, over sin. Help me to be stronger and stronger against sin. 
And when we do go after sin, that we correct that and we uh, confess it and we come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, I, I slipped up. I got off track. Help me to, to get back focused on You. Help me to, to, to not do that again. That's the road of a Christian. It's about trying to... It, it, a Hebrew says it's fighting against sin. It's turning away from sin. It's repenting, believing the gospel, following Jesus. There is a wholesale lack of understanding of that, and I would dare say I probably could go to the point of saying there is a rejection of that by many people, and yet they think they can do that and still be Christians. But they can't. I saw a dramatic example of that this week. Sad, sad example. But here's a, here's a very telling uh, glimpse of the state of Christianity in America. There was a, a U.S. representative that was a lady, that is a lady, a Republican, and there was a, there was a prayer breakfast sometime in the last couple of weeks hosted by Tim Scott, who's running for president, Republican from South Carolina, who professes to be a Christian. He was hosting a prayer breakfast for other Congress people. This lady from South Carolina was one of the speakers at the prayer breakfast to speak about her testimony of following Jesus. And when she got up to speak, and I'll give you the sanitized version, she really got very much too graphic and it, it shows where her heart is. But she got up there and spoke and she said, I was almost late today. I was almost late because I was at home asleep with my fiance and I overslept and it was seven o'clock and I got out of bed and my fiance tried to grab me and pull me back into bed and I said, no, I don't have time. I've got to get to the prayer breakfast. And she went and spoke at the prayer breakfast. And not only in that hypocrisy of living with her boyfriend, who she's not married to, she even had the audacity to get up and brag about it and joke about it to those at the prayer breakfast who are supposed to be Christians. In fact, it gets worse. In the audience was her pastor. And she was joking about almost being late because she was her boyfriend wanted her to, to stay longer that morning in bed. Well, there was some criticism of her, rightly so, on the internet by different people talking about, uh, isn't that a sin? And many of them on the left and saying, well, you Christians, see what y'all do. Y'all talk about all this stuff, but y'all just do everything everybody else does, and that they're, they're right with a lot of them. So she got all this criticism. Her response was this. Well, I go to church because I'm a sinner, not a saint. That was her quote. I go to church because I'm a sinner, not a saint. And then they gave information that she attends some church out on the coast of South Carolina called Seacoast Church. And that tells me it's a uh, you know, one of these modern churches that try to be cool and, and try to be hip. And this is 
to what they do. And she said this. Then she went on and said this. It said, I'm glad that uh, many uh, people understand my joke about this, including Senator Tim Scott, plus my pastor who was in the audience. That's the state of Christianity today where a, a woman would get up and brag and joke about sinful activity at a prayer breakfast with her pastor in the audience, and the pastor totally accepts it. That's the state of Christianity today. That's why we're in the condition we are in America. It's because God's people are compromising and and many of them aren't truly saved is their sad reality because they have no idea what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian. Okay, she says, I, I go to church because I'm a sinner. Right there, yeah, that, that's just a true statement. But her point is, I keep on sinning and I go after sin and Jesus just takes care of it. Jesus wipes it all clean and I get to go to heaven while I keep getting to go after sin. I keep getting to live with my boyfriend and I'm going to go to heaven and it's all going to work out okay in the end wrong she has no idea what it means to be a christian what it means to be a christian is you are repenting of sin you are trying to stop sinning with jesus's help and you have confessed to say jesus i'm a sinner i'm hopeless please save me change my heart i want to follow you and that person is saved and contrary to what she did say also is the Bible says when you repent and believe and the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart, changes your heart, and you are made a saint. You are made a saint before God through the Lord, blood of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. You are a saint. So she, she didn't understand that. She doesn't think she's a saint because she's, really, she's not living that way. So in a way she's truthful, but she thinks a Christian can live that way. And that's how many Christians are acting today. It is a blatant, arrogant rejection of God's salvation and His plan of turning from sin, believing on Him, following Jesus, and walking in the light. So this is the clear call of the Gospels. And that's what it means to be a Christian is that you become born again. You become a new person where you seek to do what is right. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we're going to try to be as obedient as we can with God's help. And when we fail, we uh, return and, and confess it and, 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 and receive forgiveness and get back following Jesus. That's the pathway of a Christian. Well, that's the primary theme of the Gospel of Mark. What's the secondary theme of the Gospel of Mark? This is kind of a thing that comes out of a deeper study of these Gospels, and it comes out of theological studies. And you'll hear this said that uh, Matthew has a secondary emphasis on Jesus as the King of Israel. And, and that's accurate. Typically, these secondary themes are seen in the first opening chapter. Chapter 1 or chapter 2, you see the Gospel writer bringing this kind of secondary focus that's unique to their writing out and he kind of wants to emphasize this part of Jesus's ministry and for Matthew it was that Jesus is the Jewish king the rightful Jewish king you see his genealogy given in Matthew that he is the heir to the throne of David in John it is that Jesus is the uh, eternal son of God and you see that very strongly in the first chapter 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the statement of Jesus being the eternal Son of God. And then he goes on and says, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. That is the secondary theme that comes out clearly in the book of John. It starts off right off the bat, chapter 1. Luke is a little more disguised, but with Luke, it is that Jesus is the Savior of the lost. And in Luke, you have this emphasis of Jesus saving some people who... Uh, are, are lost, and, uh, and it gives individual accounts in Luke that it doesn't in any others, such as Zacchaeus. You have the parable of, of uh, the, the lost coins and all the parables on the lostness. Different things like that. It's a, it's a unique emphasis in the book of Luke of Jesus being the Savior of the lost. What about Mark? What about Mark? I talked about this before, and... Um, I want to review that here to close us out. Looking at this gospel, typically the book of Mark has the secondary state, uh, uh, theme has been stated as the suffering servant. And I don't think that just really grasps a uniqueness for Mark because uh, and I think the scholars who have come up with this, and this is what is taught in seminaries, it'll be taught if you go into a depth study of the gospels, this is what you'll read. Mark emphasized Jesus as a suffering servant. I think they come, did that because they couldn't find anything else with the Gospel of Mark and had to come up with something because the other three clearly had something. And uh, they said, okay, well, let's say the suffering servant. Well, that's the major theme of Mark and Matthew and, and Luke and John. That's Jesus coming as the Savior. That's the major theme. Every one of them have that. So I don't think that's unique. Uh, to Mark. You know, we're talking about what's unique to that gospel that the others don't fully emphasize. It's kind of their contribution from their angle. So I don't think the suffering servant is an accurate secondary theme. But as we went through Mark, and particularly, uh, look later in chapter 1, and as I said, uh, a way to find this is typically it comes off up right off the bat in chapter 1 or 2. In chapter 1, if we look, we see Mark immediately go into some miracles of healings of, of a demon-possessed person. Peter's mother-in-law is healed next. Uh, then we come to verse 40. Look at verse 40, chapter 1. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And so he, he heals this man of leprosy, and it says he's moved with compassion. Now as we go on, uh, chapter 2, he heals a paralytic with the man that's let down through the roof. And, uh, and what I noticed with that, you see it goes on for, in, in, in chapter 2, that account goes on for 12 verses. And so you have a, an odd thing happening here that I noticed. Not only does Mark right off the bat begin to talk about the healing works of Jesus immediately in chapter 1, the other gospel writers put that off to chapter 5 or 6, is Mark, in many of the counts of healings, he gives more information than the other gospel accounts. Mark typically has shorter accounts in all of his record. 
he records things in a shorter amount of time. There's 16 chapters, therefore, compared to the others that are 20 and beyond. Mark is typically shorter in his writings. Yet, when he comes to talk about and give accounts of healings, he gives more details than any of the other writers. That, to me, is the strongest clue that I think Mark's secondary theme that he is unique about is to emphasize the healing ministry of Jesus. And uh, along with that, particularly over in chapter 5, he has the uh, account of the um, raising the little girl who's 12 years old, raising her back to life, and then healing the woman who was bleeding. That account goes on for 22 verses. In Matthew, it's only 8 verses long. In Luke, I think it's like 9 verses long. Mark gives 22 verses to it. Whereas other places, he's very short, given a shorter account when he gets to certain healings, particularly even with and this with children. Mark writes at length. Same thing then with uh, the uh, healing the demon-possessed man and sending the demons out into the pigs. Mark Mark's account is 20 verses long and the other gospel writers are much shorter. So I see a pattern here. Mark really puts in extra effort of the healing ministry of Jesus to emphasize that. And going back to chapter 1 in that first account oh, with the leper, rather, it's really the second, third healing miracle. But verse 41 particularly, it says, He moved with compassion, stretched out His hand. And here's what I would propose is that Mark's secondary theme is that Jesus is the compassionate healer. And that's his emphasis in the ministry of Jesus. Where Matthew emphasizes he's the Jewish king, and John emphasizes he's the eternal son of God, and Luke emphasizes he's the uh, savior of the lost who is compassionate to the, the lost, forgotten people in society. Mark emphasizes Jesus as the compassionate healer. And he goes into much detail about when he stretched out his hand in compassion and touched that leper. Or when he traveled to the house of the little girl who was 12 years old who was dead and he raised her back to life. And when Jesus healed people and helped them, Mark emphasizes that, gives more information about that than any other writer and goes into great detail about it, and I think that clues us into his emphasis of his secondary theme of Jesus as the compassionate healer. And if you think about it, it really fits well that with all the four gospel writers, and they emphasize these very important parts. Jesus was the Jewish king. He was the eternal son of God. It, it fits nicely, these different aspects. Well, there's no gospel then where there's an emphasis on his healing ministry, which was a very major part of his ministry. But Mark, I think that's fitting for us to look at that as his emphasis because that is a major part of the coming of Jesus. And uh, I think that that's what we need to look at with Mark, that he emphasizes how Jesus healed people in great compassion 
And he came and he came down to our level and he touches us in our infirmities and our sicknesses, the things we deal with day in, day out, and our struggle with the judgment of being under the curse of sin. Jesus was the sympathetic high priest who was touched with our, our needs, with compassion. As he reached out and touched that leper, he wants to reach out and touch our lives too, individually, just as he did to them. He wants to be our Lord and our Savior and our healer, and he's the greatest one to follow. He is the greatest person who has ever lived on the face of the earth because he was God who took on a human body, but he became a, he became a real human being with a real flesh and bones and blood. And He reached out and He touched people who needed help. And that's who Jesus was. And Mark was really touched by that. And He emphasized it in His Gospel. And that's who Jesus is in our lives. Are you following Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? It is the greatest thing to be as a human being. And it's not to us. It's just the greatest opportunity we have is to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest thing to do in life because that's, and that's the only way to have eternal life forever where it will never end. And so repent, believe the gospel, believe in the death of Jesus paid for your sins, and that's why he did it. And he rose from the dead with great power and, and then commit your life to being a follower of Him and share His work with other people. Be a fisher of men. And that'll be the way that you have the greatest life that you can have. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to the earth for us. You are the great Son of God, our great Creator, who had all, has all power, and you, come and you came in your great compassion to touch us. And you come down to our lowest level, and you could touch us with all of the needs that we have. Thank you for being so great, being a great uh, healer and uh, Lord and Savior. And we want to follow you. Help us to turn away from all that would distract us and lead us down the wrong road. Help us to turn away from all sinful destruction and distraction and temptation and to keep our eyes on You that uh, You know the best in life and You have eternal life forever. Help us to follow You and to share You and tell other people and help to bring other people to You. That other people may come and become into Your kingdom and be saved, and to be touched, and to be given what they desperately need, even if they don't realize it. So help us to continue on your work in 2023 that you continue to do in saving people here on the earth. And help us to share salvation with somebody this week that we may have the opportunity with to give them the knowledge that they need about you, Lord Jesus, that is given to us 
through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.